Are you registered for Culture Proof Conference 2024? Well, you need to get registered today. We are super excited about our first ever conference that's coming to Faith Baptist in Bartlett, Tennessee. Yes, July 18th through the 20th. And we're open, wide open. So go to cultureproof.net right now and register. Yeah, that's right. And I say the first ever conference. It's the first ever Culture Proof Conference. But everything that you love about the types of conferences that the Addisons produce all remains intact. Some of our speakers this year include the incredible Dr. Kathy Cook. Abraham Hamilton III. Dr. Renton Rathbun. Dr. Lee Brand. And Israel Wayne. And not to mention our extraordinary Culture Proof Kids and Teens tracks facilitated by Maria Hamilton. The third. And Mark and Amy (laughs) Warren. You're going to want to make sure you register. When registration fills up for those tracks, the kids tracks, we close them down because we want our classrooms to be functional and we want our kids to get the most out of those classrooms. All right, question. Mm-hmm. Is functional a word? No, probably not. So fu- functional. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, that's all right. I just want to, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Oh, don't let her do it. Oh, Lord. Um, when you don't have a red line in your brain, you're just going to leave it. Okay. We want to see you in Bartlett, Tennessee at Faith Baptist Church, July 18th through the 20th. That's right. Go to cultureproof.net. Culture Proof is brought to you by BJU Press Homeschool. If you've come to homeschooling or you're thinking of homeschooling to preserve a solid biblical worldview in your children, you should consider the curriculum we trust to help with biblical worldview formation. BJU Press Homeschool is here for you and with you as you center Christ in the education of your kids. Visit our friends today at BJUPressHomeschool.com. That's BJUPressHomeschool.com, the premier sponsor of the Culture Proof podcast. Thanks for listening to Culture Proof. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And tonight we are talking with Dr. George Barna. We're mm-hmm. going to discuss his latest contribution to the body of Christ, uh, Raising Spiritual Champions. This mm-hmm. book is a power-packed book, and um, he joined us to talk about that book on our live. If you're not a part of our monthly lives, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel yes. and follow us on Facebook so that you can keep up with those monthly opportunities to engage in real time with us and our guests. We're going to go right now to our Culture Proof Live from Tuesday night. Dr. Barna, this oh, will be man. this will be our little in-house secret. <laughs> we don't know what happened. Um can I, so I, we, so here, welcome to the live, everybody. Everybody's on the live praying, Dr. Barna, because <laughs> we all recognize unseen forces around oh, here. Man. You know what? My, my middle name is Spiritual Warfare. Let me yeah, tell you, I, I, get it. I almost yeah. thought that you didn't want to talk to us because of last year's conference and your traveling woes. I thought, man, he he's yeah. never going to talk to us again. And then here we are, and we've got this this situation with the sound you know know what the opposite is actually true the only reason i'm doing i don't do nighttime stuff because i'm always with my family whoa so uh i did this because i loved you guys i love what you you. were doing (laughs) 
And Dr. I Barnum. thought, if you're foolish enough to have me on, <laughs> I, you know, I, I'd love to be with you. So, oh. yeah. Man, that means All so right. much. We appreciate you. We value your time. And so we just want to jump into content. Yes. I, I feel like this is one of the most, and you've written so many books, you've contributed to the body of Christ, but man, this is one of the most important books. I feel like every parent uh, in this country should read this book. And, mm-hmm. and I'm not um, just trying to, to flatter you. I mean, this, this book is important. When you presented last year, when we were together um, at our family conference, the the auditorium was silent, yeah. and there was a so <laughs> a sobering hush that fell over all of us. And I think after we recovered, you know, we were all stunned. Right? Um, there was a desire for an altar call. I think. that we could all, you know, return to the Lord. But man, I mean, just the reality of where we are as a church, I'm wondering this, Dr. Barna, um, as you look at the book now here, several months since its release, what's been the reception of uh, Raising Spiritual Champions? Uh, You know, it's always hard for me to assess how a book does. Uh, In terms of sales, I mean, it's been a bestseller, so that's good. But that doesn't really mean much if it's not transforming lives. So mm. um, the, the, uh, maybe the, the most common question that I get from parents is, oh, my gosh, I didn't really understand this worldview stuff. Mm-hmm. I hadn't thought much about it. And, and now that I hear you describe it, I realize I don't have a biblical worldview, but I, I have these kids. What do I do? Mm. So to me, that's an important comment. That's great because it's like, okay, the light bulb went on. Mm. They're getting it. So I'm encouraged by that. Um, You know, and and then a lot of people have had really nice comments, you know, saying that, you know, everybody should read the book and stuff. So I don't usually get that. Oh, wow. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So, you know, but I did try to write this one differently and and I felt different writing it. So hopefully that was the Holy Spirit guiding what was going to go in mm. the book and and guiding readers as they read it. So yeah, that's that's, that's all you can hope for. I wow. want to throw something out at you, Doctor Barna, and get your and take on call this. Please me George. Yeah. Okay, that's okay. going to take a little bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll do my best. George. Um, (laughs) Okay. We'll we'll work on it. Okay. We're getting there. Um, And we just have a tremendous amount of respect for you and for how you have blessed the body of Christ um, for decades. Uh, So, so I appreciate that. I don't take that lightly at all, but I want to throw something out at you and I want to get your take on it. You tell me, um, Miki, you go too far in that assessment, but um, recently in our country, there was um, a, a verdict in a case that I think has made history in this country. Jennifer Crumley in Michigan, she was charged with four counts of manslaughter um, because she was uh, negligent. She didn't know what her son was capable of doing. She didn't provide oversight for her son. And he shot and murdered four kids in his Michigan high school. At the time, he was 15. He's now serving life in prison without the possibility of parole. And the prosecution successfully made the case that she should have known. She and her husband, James, who's going to go to trial in March, I believe. Mm -hmm. And as I was looking at this case and looking at this as a historic judgment, a historic verdict, the first time in our country's history that parents have been held responsible for something that their kids have done in this way to this extent, I thought, you know, this is a physical representation of a spiritual reality. 
that parents are responsible, that we do have a responsibility to not only know our kids, but to lead them and to parent them well. And when I looked at this, you know, I think there's a lot of people who are kind of torn about the way this case went. But I'm wondering if there are any spiritual principles that we can draw from this, even as you talk in the book about the responsibility that parents have to children. Yeah, I mean, I I look at a case like that, and I I don't want it to sound harsh, but my reaction is hooray. Mm. Um, What the Bible talks about is that children are entrusted to us as parents and they become our primary responsibility in life. Mm -hmm. And so if something is my primary responsibility, no matter what it is, that means that I have to take it incredibly seriously, I have to fully invest myself in the process related to that responsibility. It's got to be a full-time commitment. And in essence, that's what parenting is. Mm. It's a full-time commitment. It's my top priority in life. I answer to God for the choices that I make with my children, for what I do or do not invest in my children. And then when I look at at the whole discipleship process, recognizing that my responsibility as a, a, a disciple of Jesus who has children is that I am called to raise my children to be disciples of Jesus. Mm-hmm. How does that work? It only works if it's my top priority, if I'm fully committed to it, if I totally invest in it. And, and what that looks like is that I know everything that my kids are thinking. Mm. I know who they're hanging out with. Mm. I know where they're spending their time. I know what messages are coming into their minds, their hearts, their souls, because I'm spending all that time with them. Mm-hmm. It's not just that I know where they are. I'm I'm around them. I mean, there are going to be times when I'm not with them, sure. But, you know, I, I know where they are at those times. I know who they're with at those times. I know that there's some kind of parental supervision Mm -hmm. at those times. And I know what the parent tells me was going on at those times. So, I mean, it's the the whole discipleship enterprise is that of a deep, intimate, constant relationship. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just like the two of you as husband and wife have a, a deep, intimate, constant relationship I'm supposed to, the intimacy is different with my child, children, but, mm-hmm. but nevertheless, it's supposed to be that same depth, that same breadth of relationship that I have with them. Mm-hmm. And so for me not to know that my child has a gun, that my child has hatred in his heart, mm-hmm. that my child has developed enemies. I mean, all of these kinds of things for me not to know that it, it's a failure on my part as a parent mm. and I should be held accountable for yeah. it. Mm. All of us should be. Yeah. Do I want anybody to go through what those parents are going through? No, I don't. But, you know, there, there, there's a, a time when you've simply got to say, look, as a parent, I have to accept responsibility for what I did or didn't do. Yes. Mm. And my child did things that should not have been done in, in part, large part, perhaps, because I wasn't parenting that child. Yeah. Mm. It's not society's fault. It's not the police's fault. It's not the school's fault. It's not my church's fault. It's my fault. 
Amen. Listen, and and I I would say this, we have the word of God, right? We have the eternal word of God who has um, given us the authority to parent our kids and even tasked us with the responsibility for those outcomes, the things that we do and don't do. But I think there's something about this case that um, is chilling enough that it reminds parents that, hey, you are the one. Notice that they don't come for the school. Notice that they don't don't come (laughs) for the influencers. They don't come for the social media influencers or Hollywood. They come for the parents. And I'm wondering if you see um, almost sort of like a, my goodness, we've, we've made the case that parents are responsible. Uh, you say repeatedly in the book, I mean, almost an indictment on parents, right? That you can't give what you don't possess or you you can't pass on what you don't have. One of the things that I think is um, is so sad, right, is that there are so many people while wearing the name Christian are not actually robust disciples or followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, how chilling is that? And how concerned should we be, um, those of us who are part of the professing church? Well, massively concerned because, I mean, what is the church? You know, it, it raises that question. And to me, the church is disciples of Jesus. Now, why does that matter? Because we are called to expand the church of Christ. Who's going to do that? The only people that can do that are disciples of Jesus. Mm-hmm. You can't make disciples if you're not one. That's right. You don't have what's necessary to give. Yes. And so the fact that we've got so many people who run around calling themselves Christians, but they don't meet the six criteria that Jesus himself gave us for this is what a disciple is. Mm-hmm. That's tragic. Yes. And that's on us. Now, my my current research is showing that in America today, only three to four percent, three or four percent. I don't want people to misunderstand that as 34, not 34. <laughs> Number three, T-H-R-E-E or F-O-U-R percent of adults in America meet Jesus criteria for being disciples. I'm not trying to judge people. That's his job, not mine. Praise the Lord for that. But but just taking the criteria that he gave us, putting it into surveys and asking people to tell us, you know, do you do this? Do you believe that? You know, um, and, and we know that people always give themselves the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. So if anything, three or 4% may be an overestimate. Wow. But I'll run with three or four, you know. That's an indictment yeah. of, of what's happened to Christianity in America and what the church has allowed to happen. And when I look at, you know, the reasons why, there's a lot of them, but one of them has to do with the fact that families are not raising their children to be disciples. They're waiting for the local church to do it. It's not the local church's job. Right. You know, secondly, when I when I've studied over the past two or three years local churches across the country and pastors, we know most pastors don't have a biblical worldview. And we know that most churches say they're successful in ministry, very successful in ministry. And when we've asked them, wonderful, uh, on what basis do you make that claim? We find that there are five things that they use. You know, how many people show up, how much money they raise, how many staff they've hired, how many programs they offer, and how much square footage they built out. Mm. None of which Jesus died on the cross for. Come on. And so if that's how we're gauging our success, basically what the local church is saying, we've got a better idea. Mm. 
that cross routine that Jesus had, don't worry about that. What we need you to do is come here, take notes, throw money, applaud, bring more people with you, and, and everybody's going to be happy. Shame on us. Come that on. is not the church that Jesus died for. No. And, wow. you, and you can see that in American society today. So we put ourselves here. We're guilty of this. You know, not the Lord. I mean, <laughs> what more could he do? You know, he died on the cross for our sins, and he gave us the book that tells Come us on. how to live. Mm-hmm. You know, and then he gave us the Holy Spirit to Amen. give us the power and the guidance to, to go down that route. And we've said, mm, Nah, we got a better idea. You oh. Know, oh, go ahead. Well, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say we we've had years and years and years of, of of almost like teaching that the experts are the ones who should be raising our kids or mm-hmm. discipling our kids, whether it's being outsourced to the church, the youth group, or whatever. So there's this mindset that I'm not qualified. I can't do it. That these people are the ones who went to seminary and things like that. And so they are the ones to do it. How do we even begin to change that mindset? I, you know, I, I would guess, you know, the the book that that you wrote, having different, you know, seminars about this. But how do we practically begin to change that mindset within believers? Hmm. Well, it, it, I, I think a lot of it goes back to the whole discipleship process. You know, if if you and I understand how important parenting is and what has to take place in that. Mm-hmm. It's our responsibility then to come alongside our friends and our colleagues in church and the people that we meet, the coaches that we interact with, mm-hmm. the teachers that we know, and and to initiate these kind of conversations with them mm. and tell them, you know what, we've tried, <laughs> and I wouldn't say it exactly this way, but <laughs> we've tried it your way. How's that working for us? <laughs> yeah, right. you know? It ain't. Right. So let's let's rethink this. Let's go back and think about what our mission is. Mm -hmm. Jesus made that very clear for us in Matthew 28, that we are here to make disciples. I'm not here to make children who are happy. Mm -hmm. I'm not here to make children who are good athletes. Mm -hmm. I'm not here to make children who are going to graduate from prestigious colleges. I'm not here to make kids who are going to get you know, fancy jobs. Mm -hmm. I'm not here to raise children who are going to get a trophy husband or wife. Come on. I'm here to make children who were born in the likeness of Jesus, but they have to make a choice about how they're going to live. And my role is to shape their thinking about what that's going to be. So we start with my worldview. Do I get what the Lord expects of me? Have I read his word and studied his word and prayed over his word and begged him to make his word part of me hmm. such that I now have something useful and valuable and godly and holy that I can give to children. Hmm. And you, my friend, fellow parent, where are you at with all that? Hmm. How much time are you spending in the word? How much time are you spending with your children, hmm. holding them accountable? In the book, I talk about, you know, there's four things that parents have to do. And the first thing is, when you're going to parent these children, don't do it spontaneously. It doesn't happen randomly. There's no random disciple running around anywhere in America, Come on. anywhere in the world. Okay. It happened because somebody had a plan for how they were going to change the beliefs and the behavior of a child. Mm. And so you got to start with the plan. And that plan means number one, 
I am committed to doing this. I acknowledge before my Lord and the Savior, this is my top priority in life. And I cannot afford to fail in this. Mm-hmm. The world is going to be, you know, trying to set me on fire so that I cannot do this. Mm. I don't care. I'm bringing a fire <laughs> extinguisher with me. Come on. I'm going for it. Okay. <laughs> yes. And so whatever it takes, I'm going to do this. That's my commitment. My plan. What's going to be in my plan? Number one, I have to get my beliefs right before the Lord. And then secondly, as I do that, I need to be sharing those beliefs with my children. Mm -hmm. But those beliefs aren't good in and of themselves. They have to be translated into behavior. So the third part of my plan is that I have got to show my children through my lifestyle Mm -hmm. what it means to take belief in God, uh, trust in Jesus, Uh, trusting the Bible, believing that it's reliable in all situations, all of these things. I've got to show them those and more Mm -hmm. what it looks like in practice. I've got to model the Christian life for them because they're going to imitate somebody. That's right. Right now, what they're choosing to do is to ignore their parents. Why? I talk about this in the book, Mm -hmm. that, that one of the most startling things for me out of the research was that children tell us, they, they don't trust their parents. Hmm. And we ask, well, why, why don't you trust them? You know, I mean, they, they love you, don't they? Yeah, they probably love me, but I can't trust them because they say one thing and do another. <laughs> the talk is okay. different from the walk. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so they're modeling how not to be a Christian. Mm. Okay. And so where do kids go? Why does that matter to them? It matters because think about yourself at five years old, seven years old, nine years old, 10 years old. What are you trying to do? You're trying to figure out life. Mm-hmm. You're trying to figure out who you are, who you're going to be, who you want to be, how you're going to get from here to there, what, how you're going to overcome the obstacles that, that the world keeps throwing at you in order to become that person. They can't trust their parents because their interpretation of the bad model is, my parents are as confused as I am. Man, They say one thing and do another. So they must not get it either. Mm-hmm. They haven't figured it out. i got to find somebody who's figured it out. And that is why the media has so much blasted influence on Come our on. kids. Come on. So because as a parent, I'm on display for my kids 24-7. When they turn on a television program for 30 minutes, the, the characters in there, the writers in there, are on display for 24 minutes, mm-hmm. you know, after you take out the commercials. And and it's really easy to be consistent in your thinking and behavior for 24 minutes. Mm-hmm. Much more difficult for 24 hours. Mm, <laughs> and come on. so, you know, the, 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 then they'll go to a movie, you know, a movie, what, 90 minutes? 90 minutes, I tell you what, as a writer, you know, I've written screenplays, I've written scripts, you know, it'll take a year to write this stuff. Mm. You know, but you give me a year and I can write something that's internally consistent. Okay. And I've got no other outside pressures. It's not reality. I'm making up stuff. Mm -hmm. I can make up stuff that's consistent. Real different than when 24-7, I've got to be consistent in front of my children. Wow. So, you know, as parents, we've got to be so dedicated to being Christ-like in our thoughts and our actions and then demonstrating those, displaying those, modeling those for our kids that they watch us and they say, oh, 
I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Dad just showed me how to deal with anger. Yeah. Ah, I get it. Mom just showed me how to handle an opportunity to take money that doesn't belong to me. Mm. She gave it back to the cashier Mm -hmm. and said, you know what? This isn't mine. You made a mistake. Yeah. You know, take it back. You know, I mean, all those little things, we don't get away with anything. Come on. We don't get away with it before God. And we don't get away with it before our children. And so we got to be on our game all the time. And the only way you can do that is when you are constantly appropriating the power and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 You don't have it. I don't have it. We we, we just don't have the goods. Yeah. And that's why God gave us the Holy Spirit and gave us his word. Because when we're looking at that, that when the Holy Spirit speaks to us and guides us and kicks our butts, we know what's happening. (laughs) You can only know that when you've read the word. Amen. Otherwise, you're going to say, wow, this is weird. No, it's not weird. Wake up. Amen. I just I, I just broke one of God's principles mm. and the Holy Spirit's bringing it to my attention. Come on. Saying, Get back on the horse, buddy, and ride to the end. You're not done. Mm. Oh, man. Come on. Man. Preacher Barna. Come on now. Like, you know, look, I mean, we, we, we grew up in oh. black church. OK, so we start to no. shove you down a little bit. But that it means keep going. It doesn't mean stop. Just want you to know that. I, I didn't realize this. So I was reading your bio and I didn't realize that you had pastored and that you pastored a house church and that you served as an elder. I, I really just knew the work that you did in, in culture and in stats on culture and politics and all of those things, honestly, just full disclosure. But I got to tell you something. The very first time we ever interviewed you, um, <laughs> this knowing this background about you made a whole lot more sense um, because there is, and I don't want to overuse this word, but there is an anointing that you bring to the information that you present that it's more than just data. It's There is a genuine conviction that mm-hmm. God is holy right. and that it matters how we live and how we walk mm-hmm. before him and how we rear our children. And you can feel that in the book. Like you, you can feel <laughs> that when you're reading it, there is a conviction that just washes over you. We've got a, a question okay. in the chat that I wanted to bring to you, George, if you don't mind. See how easily I said that? Thank you for saying that. I mean, you're going to make me cry. I mean, that's, you know, and by the way, the reason that, well, I mean, there are a lot of reasons why I was pastoring, but one of them was that I had a bunch of pastors when I started out doing all the research, they said, yeah, I'm not buying your stuff because you haven't walked in my shoes. And I said, okay, that's fair. So I walked in their shoes and, and, I get, and, and it did reshape some of my perspective. Yeah. So I'm so thankful that I got the privilege to do that. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it doesn't change God's principles. Amen. You know, whether you're a researcher, a preacher, a teacher, <laughs> you know, a baseball player, it doesn't matter. You know, God's truth is God's truth. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Can we pop on a question from yeah. Yeah. Um, one? Right. One. Okay, so let's see. John says, I've never heard, and you actually address this in the book, but I'll let you answer this question. He says, I've never heard Dr. Barna's position on public or government school in general and whether Christians should be sending their children to be confused at best uh, under secular progressive a secular progressive system. I haven't read the new book. Maybe he addresses this issue, which you do. He says, I know churches and parents um, shoulder the heavy part of the burden, but if you turn around and then send your 
your children to government school, then in my view, you end up undermining yourself, especially if the worldview is set by the age of 13. What does he say after that? I can't see the rest of it. But Dr. Barnum, maybe you can start to speak to that just a little bit. Um, do you take a public position on uh, government education? I know you kind of go through the different um, means by which we educate our kids in the book. Yeah. Um, you know, every school is different. Every teacher is different. So in, in a sense, you, you have to know every unique situation and make a choice based on the information that you have mm -hmm. about that situation. But I'm a sociologist, essentially. I mean, that's my training. And, and what that means is that I work with averages. And so if I look at the average public school, I would tell Christian parents, it's probably not in your best interest to have your children there. Mm. You know, my wife and I wrestled with this with our kids. And, mm. uh, you know, we, we, one of the great expressions that she had when we decided, you know, to pull them from a public school that they were in was, you know what, this isn't serving them well. Our children are not missionaries. Hmm. We're trying to raise them up so that someday they can become missionaries. Yeah. Yeah. But we don't want to throw them in the mission field yeah. without the proper development. And, and so for us, that was a real big perspective, a, a real important perspective. It's like, yeah, I've only got a limited amount of time with my children. And, you know, 13 years may sound like a long time, but as you know, when you're parenting, no, it goes fast. <laughs> That's right. By. Yes, it does. And, and, you know, every day they're being exposed to new and challenging and sometimes evil stuff. And and so, yeah, I mean, the, the things are moving mm -hmm. and you got to make decisions quickly and you got to make them adroitly. So, you know, I'm not a big proponent of government schools at this point. I would say 40 years ago before we had kids, I was. You know, my wife taught in public schools, but uh, yeah, we've got a completely different mm. understanding now. And, um, you know, even with our grandkids, I mean, we're, 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 we're working with our, our daughter, Man. you know, to make sure that our, we're actually paying for our grandkids, <laughs> you know, to not go to public school. Yes, yes. <laughs> Just because it's that important to me. Yeah. Man, I, I appreciate Man. hearing you say that. That's one of the things that we try to encourage yes. grandparents, grandparents to do. This intergenerational responsibility mm -hmm. that we have to one another, it pains me when um, grandparents say things like, well, I raised my I kids. Raised mine. And so I'm done. <laughs> I just, I, I don't see I that it, represented in scripture. Call it uh, Hezekiah. Oh, oh, goodness! It's 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 so sad, but because all hands need to be on deck, like mm -hmm. the where we are, yeah. you know, yeah. every joint needs to supply. Yeah, and so yeah. it's important that grandparents know that their worth in in what we're doing here. Well, and and that's part of what the whole concept of family is about. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you go back into the scriptures, and 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 you, you you don't see anywhere where it tells us, okay, at a certain age, you're no longer responsible for your kids. Mm. What you see is elders in the church still disciplining their children, still mm. guiding their children, still educating their children. Your job as a parent never ends. Mm -hmm. You know, my kids are, are now considered adults. Sometimes I wonder, but you know, <laughs> age-wise, they're adults. And I, I don't think that means I don't have any responsibility for the choices they're making, 
I'm still their parent. I'm still their dad. My wife is still their mom. Mm -hmm. We still love them. We're still a family. We're still trying to become as Christ-like as we can. That challenge never ends. That journey doesn't end until the Lord takes us home. Mm. And so until my last breath, I'm sure I'll be telling my daughters, no, 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 no. Let's think (laughs) about it this way, Mm -hmm. you know, or I love what you did there. That was brilliant. I'm so proud of you. You know, whatever it is, if it's wrong, I want to correct it. If it's right, I want to celebrate it. Mm, Amen. Amen. I I want to address something that you touch on in the book that I I think is so, is so vital. Well, all of it's vital, right? But there's something that's really chilling to me when you turn your attention to the church, because I feel like um, there is a lack of safety in the church that we are just not aware of as the body of Christ, because you kind of, you, you gather together as the bride of Christ and you expect there to be a level of safety, meaning we all believe the same things, right? We are all holding true and we are fixed on the scriptures, right? But your research shows that that is not true. And where this is most pronounced and most detrimental is where children's ministry is concerned. Mm. And when I tell you reading some of this information makes me like... I physically feel like, no way, like, ah, how in the world? So when we talk about churches using children's ministry, number one, as bait for where they really want to focus, okay, that makes me sick, but that is the reality because we don't, we see it, even you've got the data, but we see that in the way churches are established. We want something that's going to draw the parents, but then what are the parents looking for? They're looking for entertainment. They want their kids to be entertained. So they don't even know that they should be offended by that, right? Right. But but then let me just read a little bit from your book here, just some of the stats to set you up so that we can amen. Okay. So here's (laughs) here's a brief sampling of just some of the unbiblical beliefs held and most likely taught by children's pastors. Mm. The ones that we send our little ones off to, Okay, get their little wristbands, and then we don't see them for an hour, 45 minutes, and then they come back to us, and we hope, we think that they're closer to Jesus. Maybe they've they've heard truth, and they're growing in their faith, but here is the reality. 64% believe there is no absolute moral truth. We're talking about the children's pastors in America today. 53% accept reincarnation as a real possibility for them. 58% say it is possible to achieve complete spiritual maturity during your lifetime. 56% do not believe that sexual relations, let me just, 56% do not believe that sexual relations between consenting adults who are not married to each other are morally unacceptable. Hmm. I could keep going here. It just makes you sicker and sicker as you read it because you think our precious little babies you know, we we care more about the public appearance of our church. We care more about the search results that people get when they Google our church than we do about the spiritual formation of our children. Dr. Barna, how have we gotten here? Well, it, we've gotten here essentially because we're selfish. Mm. And um, what we do is when we go to church— We want a place where we're going to feel comfortable. And so we want to be able to sit in nice seats and, you know, air conditioned buildings and, you know, a a pretty setting. And we want to have a pastor who's a good communicator 
and we want to be able to take notes and feel like, you know, gee, aren't I smart? Look at all that I'm learning. <laughs> and it, it, we want to have a place where we can dump our kids and for an hour feel like, whew, I don't have to worry about them for the next hour. I can take care of myself. Wow. And, you know, this is just completely backwards. <laughs> the, the reality is that in most cases, let's, I don't know if we've said this yet in this broadcast, but only 12% of children's pastors in America have a biblical worldview. Oh my goodness. That means that seven out of eight of the single most important pastor in the entire church, and I, I get nasty words said about me by senior pastors for saying that, but but I mean, let, let's, let's be real here. The most important people in the church on any given Sunday are the individuals under the age of 13. Mm. Why? Because they're the only ones in all likelihood whose worldview is literally being shaped by what they hear and see and experience at the church that day. Mm. Adults' worldview is already formed. Mm. Teenagers' worldview is already formed. Now, theirs can still shift a little bit. Usually it doesn't. Sometimes it does. There's a little bit of, of hope there. But adults, unless there's a major life crisis that takes place for them, uh, I've got oodles of data that shows that your worldview isn't going to shift. It takes a huge crisis to shake you up enough that you actually become a broken individual. That's a whole other program I'd love to do with you sometime mm -hmm. about the whole notion of brokenness. I wrote another book called Maximum Faith that talks about the reason why most Christians in America aren't really Christians. We're just pretending it's because we refuse to be broken of sin, self, and society. Mm. So, so you've got this whole thing going on where, you know, we just want kids to go in there to be physically safe to be happy, to have a little bit of exposure to some religious stuff, doesn't really matter what. But, you know, I mean, that's what the typical parent is thinking. It does matter what. It matters hugely. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, so th this is where we're at. So, you know, in a lot of the, the presentations I've been giving publicly since the book came out, one of my comments is, and it gets a lot of flack, and I'm thrilled about it, is that um, Christian churches in our society today are one of the most dangerous places for you to take children. Hmm. And Whoa. it's because you are being fooled into thinking that they're getting good religious stuff when in point of fact, based on the worldview of the typical children's pastor, based on the content of what kids are exposed to in the typical church setting, they're being misled. They're being led astray. They're not being brought to the foot of the cross. Hmm. They are not being taught the truth of Scripture. And, and as a parent, that's on you. That's on me. Mm -hmm. We can't allow that to happen. I have to invest more time and energy and personal resources in checking out that children's ministry than I do in where I'm going to park my money for my IRA. Come on. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, because this is so much more yeah. important than whatever money I put in a 401k that ultimately is going to burn. Mm. But my child, my child is going to stand before God someday. Mm. 
and have to give them account for their life. Come on, mm. come on. I'm responsible for that. Yeah. So are you. Man, Man look, this is right. real. No, this no, is, I feel that. I feel that. I. This is what, this is what we feel when we're reading your book. This is the reality where we are. We have six children. They're 17 down to three, 17 down to three. We are looking at them as people that the Lord has entrusted to us to make sure that they get the gospel intact. Yes. Not just a gospel, right? Not just some form of gospel that works in America in 21st century America to be specific, but the true ardent faith that was once and for all delivered to us. That's what we're trying to do. And I, I wonder, I thought this as I was reading the book, I thought, man, how do we affect connect worldview to the right indication that a person is a disciple. Here And here's why I say that, or why I ask that question. My concern is that when we talk about worldview, it can become something that is in vogue. It, it becomes sort of like um, a buzz phrase that people hear. And so then they, they start to draw from around them that, oh, wait a minute, Biblical worldview is something good to have. So then they learn to say, I have a biblical worldview, or maybe they still remain unconvinced. But I'm wondering how we do the work to connect the way we live and engage in the world as a direct representation of whether or not we are actually a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not just an optional view. Yeah, a lot of thoughts come to mind. You know, one of them is that people need to remember everybody has a worldview. And, and the only real question for an adult, for a college kid, for a teenager, and, and even for many younger children at this point, is which worldview do you have? You've got one. Every decision that you make, every moment of every day comes from your worldview. Mm. You need a worldview to get through the day because it's the thing that helps you to make sense of the world, helps you to figure out your place in it, and what you're going to do that's going to keep you from wrestling with cognitive dissonance because you're being consistent with what you believe, what you think is right and good and appropriate, and therefore you'll make choices that fit with those things. That's what your worldview does. So you've got a worldview, but understand that that worldview is important because it tells you what you believe. Why does that matter? Because we do what we believe. Mm. So our calling as disciples is to live like Jesus, but I can't live like Jesus unless first I think like Jesus mm -hmm. because I do what I believe. Mm -hmm. And so I've got to have the right beliefs. And so this whole issue of a biblical worldview, it's a combination of beliefs and behavior. Uh, in our surveys, I get a lot of people who have some good beliefs. They can parrot some stuff that they've heard some things that they've been taught. But then when we look at the behavioral section of the surveys, we find, oh, but they're not living it. They don't really believe it. They know that that's the right thing to say, but they don't believe it's the right way to live. Mm. And, and so that disparity, it pretty much disqualifies them from being counted as a disciple because a disciple is someone who really is moving consistently toward Christ likeness. That's what we're trying to do. So, in the book, I talk about this thing called the seven cornerstones yes. of a biblical worldview. And, and that's become a real important element in this discussion. And this is one of those things where real late one night, it was like one or two in the morning, I was sitting here in the computer behind me playing with data. And uh, the Lord just unraveled this thing for me, unlike anything I'd ever seen before. 
and to make a long story short, it was that I found there are seven particular beliefs, very, very basic foundational beliefs from the Bible, that if you own these, you don't just say, yeah, I, I give intellectual assent to them, but you own them. This is now part of who you are. The chances of you developing a complete biblical worldview are 83%. Mm. That's really strong. Keep in mind, only 4% of That's Americans right. have a biblical worldview. Yeah. So if you've got an 83% of going there, these seven elements are critical. And as I kept playing with the data, I also discovered that if you reject even one, any one of those seven core beliefs, the probability of you then developing a biblical worldview drops to 2%. So these seven things are absolutely critical. And they're so simple. They're like Sunday School 101. Mm -hmm. Like I tell people, well, nobody goes to Sunday School 101 anymore. Right. So, so they don't know these things. They don't follow these things. But they're critically important. Why, why does it matter? Because when parents come up to me and say, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? I don't have a biblical worldview. I want to help my kids. Uh, you know, I hear what you're saying. Where do I start? Seven cornerstones. That's mm -hmm. where you start. Keep two things in mind. Number one. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to know everything. You've only got to be about 10 seconds ahead of your kids. That's right. they, they won't know the difference. All right. They'll think you're deep and smart and wise and sophisticated as long as you're at least 10 seconds ahead of them. So, you know, what do you do with those 10 seconds? You make these seven cornerstones real in your life. Mm. You, you, you read them, you study them, you think about them, you pray about them, you convert them into action. After you do things, you go back and you evaluate yourself. Am I consistent with the cornerstones? Uh, how could I have done that better? How can I describe this to my kids? I mean, these are the kinds of things that you've got to be wrestling with as, as we try to make worldview not just a, an ivory tower concept. I know Dr. Barna teaching at a university. Of course, he's going to talk about this. No, it's it's ground level stuff. Mm -hmm. This isn't scholarly, you know, highfalutin kind of, uh, of of theology. This is real core level where the people live stuff. Yes, that's what God wants us to 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 embrace. Amen. And to live. He's not trying to make us. In, into graduate level theologians. He's trying to make us into graduate level disciples. Amen. Which means that we get the very basics of the scriptures because that's what Jesus was teaching. Okay. You read most of the stuff that comes out of seminaries and, and you know, the people who are incredibly smart, 10 times smarter, a hundred times smarter than me. I can't understand half their stuff. <laughs> that, that, and they that's like why it that God way. didn't give us those books. <laughs> he gave us the Bible, which praise the mm. Lord, I can understand. Amen. And I Amen. can take it and make it into a lifestyle. That's what he wants from each of us. Yeah. And so that's what our challenge is. Dr. Mm. Barney, you have been so gracious with your time. I want to I want to thank you sincerely for um, giving us several, several minutes of your time this evening. Can we wrap up? We've got one other question from someone who's on the live. And, and I think this comes down to almost sort of like a, <clears throat> excuse me, a practical concern here. When we talk about biblical worldview and the deficit in the body of Christ, this question is, um, how do we approach other believers with these concerns in their lives without destroying our relationships? 
like yeah, it's a great question. Yeah. Great question. Yeah. And and to me, the answer is going back to how do you form anybody into a disciple? And so, number one, it's based on relationships. That relationship has to be based on trust. That trust is going to be based on them watching you and listening to you and saying, all right, yeah, they're the real deal. This is okay. I don't mind being in this relationship. Uh, you know, th then beyond that, what you've got to think about is now, how do I challenge what they believe? Well, you don't do it by telling them they're an idiot, that they've made mistakes, that they don't study the Bible enough. What you do is you engage them in dialogue, mm. just like a friend would. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I go to lunch with my buddies, I mean, that's all we do is we sit there and we talk. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? It just so happens that all my buddies are disciples now because we talk <laughs> about all this stuff. That's good. And so the kind of conversation that a disciple maker has is what some people might call Socratic dialogue. Mm -hmm. And what that means is that I'm not telling you what you should believe. I'm asking you what you do believe. Mm. And then when you tell me that, all I do is I ask you, you know, that's really interesting. Why do you believe that? Where did that come from? How did that come about in your life? And let them keep feeding that stuff to me. And as they unpack what they're thinking and feeling and believing, I get the opportunity to ask clarifying questions with what they've said. And what I've found over the course of my life and, and people that I, I do discipleship stuff with is that when you have those kinds of conversations where I'm not trying to catch my friend, mm -hmm. I'm trying to understand my friend. Why? Because I love my friend. That's right. That's good. And I don't want him burning and rotting in hell. Come on. And so what I want to do is understand where he's coming from enough that I can then ask these questions where when he starts giving me his answers, sometimes what happens is they'll chuckle and they'll say, well, that's pretty stupid, isn't it? I've never thought about that. You know, it's like, I don't even have to do the work. They're doing the work for me. Mm. They figure it out once they hear it. Nobody ever asks these questions. Nobody ever challenges people at a deep enough level mm -hmm. while still loving them and, and not telling them, you know, that they're bad people. Mm -hmm. But they know I love them. They know that I care. They know I want to understand. And you know what? There's been occasions where they've said stuff and it's caused me and my spirit to think, ooh, that's something I need to work on. Mm. And that's one of the beautiful things about a discipling relationship. Oh, and by the way, this is something that I encourage parents to do. As you're discipling your children, I don't care if they're four years old, six years old, 12 years old, invite them into that discipleship process in your life. As you're growing, tell them, you know what? I'm not perfect. I'm still learning things. The Lord is teaching me things every day. I make mistakes every day. I'm still a wanton sinner. I'm trying to repent and get away from that. But the truth of the matter is I'm not perfect. Mm. So I'm asking you as we walk down this path together toward Christ, yeah. if you see things in my life that you think are wrong according to Scripture, I'm begging you, child, tell me. Amen. Tell me. 
because I don't want to lead you astray. That's good. I don't want to go astray. Yeah. We're in this together. That's what family means. I love you. You love me. We love Jesus. Mm-hmm. We're trying to be more like him. We're doing this together. Mm. So please, you know, let's have those conversations. Never be afraid to tell me stuff. I won't always agree with you. Come on. <laughs> and, and I may have some good reasons for why I believe what I believe and why I do what I do. But they're not good reasons unless I can back them up with God's word. Mm-hmm. And, and if that's shaky, I'm going to do my best to be a truthful human being and let you know, you know what, that's what I think, but I'm not feeling very sure about this. Why don't you and I study this together? Let's figure this out together. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, what a great opportunity that is to take your children deeper and to let them see the transparency that a Christian needs to have with their own sinfulness, their Mm -hmm. own lunacy, their own, you know, bad decision-making. Even when we have a biblical worldview, we're still being sought by the evil one. Mm. And he's still coming after us with everything he's got. We are targets. And so we're still going to make a bad choice every now and then. And we got to own up to it. And if I have to do that in front of my children, I need to see that as a teaching moment, not as a pretend moment. Amen. Amen. I just have one question. You said something earlier that in writing this book, you wrote it differently. What was it about this, this uh, topic, this book uh, that the Lord impressed upon your heart that you wrote it in a different way? What were you feeling? It's hard for me to describe. Well, I guess I would say, uh, I'm at that point in my life where I'm old enough. I I know I'm not going to have a lot of time left. And so I'm thinking about how do I finish well? Mm -hmm. And, and this is like the first of the last books, if you will, Mm -hmm. that I think the Lord's going to allow me to write. Mm -hmm. And so just in case he takes me home sooner than I think maybe he will, I wanted to make sure I got this one out. This is the most Uh, important one. Wow. 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 And, and and so for me, there was a, a kind of a, a pressure to leave no stone unturned. Mm. One person I was doing an interview with said, you know, this is an interesting book because it's almost like you were going into court and you were making <laughs> your case and you were going to leave all the evidence right there yes. on the floor and yes. there's nothing that the, the prosecutor would be <laughs> able to decide, to say as you were defending the Lord's way here. Mm. And it's like, they've got no leg to stand on. And I really feel that's what this book did. Mm. You know, uh, that's what he said. And, and, you know, I said, well, I mean, that's how I approach research is I'm a lawyer and I've got to look at every argument that everybody's got and figure out, is it real? Is it good? Is it right? Is it bad? Is it evil? Is it holy? You know, and, and that's what I try to do with the research. So, you know, that that's what this book was to me. It's mm-hmm. like my, my best possible effort with all the wisdom and passion and energy I could summon to try to call parents to a different way of doing it. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I want to say this and, and then we're, we're, and that's it. Yeah. Then, then, <laughs> then we're, we're going to part ways here. Brother George, you have blessed us. Everybody on the live. So encouraged, yeah. right? We couldn't pop up all the comments. So many people are grateful for your work and grateful for your honesty and your boldness and telling your boldness and telling the truth about what's happening in the church today. But I want to tell you, so we have, we have a hard copy of the book and then we also have the book on audible because we do spend a lot of time in the car so that we could just not miss a beat. But I want to tell you this. I was actually listening to one of the chapters and um, my 17 year old daughter, our oldest got into the car and she's just listening because it's on. Right. And we get in and, and she's, she's driving with me. And then she turns to me and she says, every parent needs to listen to this book, mom. Like what, like this is 17. She's 17. And it's so convicting. It is, it's so convicting. And it's the truth. It is exactly what the person who interviewed you said. It's all the evidence is laid out. And, and now the question is, what are we going to do as Christian parents? That's the question. So brother George, thank you so much. Mickey, just, just before we go, let me tell you the thing that encourages me so much about that comment is that that is a parent to be mm. And, mm. and she got it before she starts having kids. Oh, wow. <laughs> what, Amen. What a beautiful thing for her to <laughs> go into her eventual relationship with her husband, mm -hmm. knowing that this is my job. This is my mm. responsibility before God. Praise the Lord. Thank you for sharing. That. Oh, amen. amen. I hadn't amen. even thought about that, but yeah, <laughs> amen. <laughs> amen. All right, Dr. Barna, we appreciate you. We want to say thank you so much. Yes, and thanks to everybody thank who's on the live. Um, may you have a wonderful evening. Um, enjoying the rest of your evening with your family. Are you playing any bass tonight or no? Uh, pro probably after I have dinner, I will. Yeah. Okay. Th thank yeah. you so much. We appreciate you. You know what? I love you guys. Thank you so much we love for what you. you're doing. It is so important. Please keep doing it. And thanks for letting me be a little part of it. I, I feel very blessed by that. Oh, you so bless God us bless and you. we love you dearly. God bless you. Good night. Okay. Take care. You can hear why it's so important to disciple kids. You can hear why yeah. it's so valuable to invest in children. I think about our Culture Proof Conference, and I think about how we have a kids and teens track, mm -hmm. and that's been a feature of our conferences from the very beginning, that our heartbeat has been to shape the heart and minds of children. And after hearing from Dr. Barnett, yeah. there is no doubt in my mind that parents would be able to hear and discern yes. that that's important. Yeah, definitely. Um, this work uh, was an important one for him this book and he stated that you know he said that he wanted to lay it all on the line just no excuse this is what's going on he wanted to present the case and and so he did just that in his book and so this is an important book and uh we we see why we see his heart mm -hmm. you know for for this issue for this topic if you want to learn more about the Culture Proof Conference, go to cultureproof.net. Mm -hmm. You can get registered. You can see who the speakers are. And we also want to remind you that we don't just keep all of the impactful speakers um, in the adult sessions, mm -hmm. that we've got impactful speakers in our kids and teen sessions. Dr. Jason Lyle, Israel Wayne, mm -hmm. um, Abraham Hamilton III will pop in as well. Dr. Kathy Cook yes. are all presenting in our youth and our kids' tracks. Are also Dr. Renton Rathbun is going to to yes. be presenting um, to our young adults. That's right. We really care about the hearts and minds of kids. And if this is something that is appealing to you and you can join us in the Memphis area at our Culture Proof Conference 2024, then check it out online at cultureproof.net, cultureproof.net. Um, when you resist those cultural trends that rival the truth, you remain culture proof. Until next time, Lord willing. God bless.